Welcome back, friends, to a little series that we're doing for this season where we're looking at the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu. We're looking at this question, how to surf the Tao. There are multiple little bits of this series. This is number nine. Seek the way of non-domination. Seek the way of non-domination. You don't have to listen in order, friends. You can really listen in any order you want. But if you want to go back from the beginning of this season, you'll see a whole series of conversations along with the little reflections that Stacy's doing as we work through our final run through our rendition of the Tao Te Ching, our rendering of it. So sit back, enjoy, and contemplate the ways in which we might think of life in a way that does not involve this idea of lording it over others, the way of power, the way of molech and destruction. Let's go. For many, many years, Stacy, we have been on this quest. You know, it started before this podcast with another podcast, but really just a long conversation, a long investigation into really overcoming what is colloquially in our little world, that is our family and close friends and people <laughs> that have talked to us about this, the way of Molech, mm-hmm. opposing Molech, resisting yeah. Molech. Uh, we, we often hear about the, the distinction between Jesus and Mammon. You can't follow both Mammon and Jesus. Mammon becomes a per- personification of the worship of the idol of money. But I think that there's a related demon out there, uh, an underworld deity that was worshipped in the ancient world as Molech. Mm. The thing that really turned me on to this was, of course, the poem Howl, where, yes. yeah, where Allen Ginsberg... It was around Ginsberg, this time of year that we really looked into it a little yeah. bit more, and it was several years ago, but I remember we were at the beach. We were there one evening walking um, on the, you know, the boardwalk, yeah. and then we looked up at the moon, and it looked like the the horns yeah you know and it was like this half crescent coming up out of the ocean it was like coming up out of the ocean and then it was laying down so that it literally looked like bull horns horns things and it was on winter solstice december 21st Mm. and i said oh no is this going to be doom and i said don't worry it's not necessarily going to be doom and boy was it a year (laughs) i said the year of mo like it wasn't it, it's um, it's been better than I expected in some ways, but it's been a horror. I mean, expected when everything started to get real bad. Yeah. Um, or we, we had a sense that things were going to get bad. But Molech refers to uh, this idea of the religion of cruel power. That's from not only Allen Ginsberg in his poem Howl, that there's a long section about about Molech in it. Uh, it's it, Molech comes up in this idea of um, the religion of cruel power in Bertrand Russell, the famous atheist philosopher. He talks about uh, an essay called The Free Man's Worship, and he talks about this sad, fear-based religion that human beings have experienced. And he's right in the sense that whether you called the God to whom you, you murdered your children, or for whom you murdered your children, Yahweh or Molech or something else, you see it occurring all over the world. The Greeks did it, the Hebrews did it, the Incas did it. We have the bones of babies all around the world in these ritual graves. And we have kind of grabbed onto that as a way of talking metaphorically about the ways in which, for all our good intentions, religious training, religious communities can cause our children to suffer so badly, to be harmed 
because we assume that you either got to get on the game, get in on the game of power Mm -hmm. and domination or be dominated. And since we don't want our children and ourselves to be dominated, well, we become cruel. And I think it, it it extends itself even larger than even our religion. Like just the way that I know that at least we're structured in America. It's kind of, you you know, you, you go to college, you first get yourself in college debt, then you, you know, you have to get these jobs and to pay for that and, and the place that you're going to live in where you've got the job, right? And, and what are those places? Places well, for winners. <laughs> yeah. So it's not just about right. money. This is why I'm saying it is mammon, but it's more about so, using money to dominate other people. We're told, yeah, there's this expectation that everybody has these certain goals. You want the car, the house, you know, the family, you know, that you want to be comfortable and have surplus and all this stuff and if you do you're you're winning you're on top you've, yeah you've got it all but then you start to realize sometimes how oppressive some of these these goals can be and yeah the and enslavement and yeah and especially if if you feel like you're constantly overextending yourself then you just have to work harder and harder and you can't get out from underneath this like crushing debt and all these expectations on us but yeah so i just i think that we wrap that all also in with with religion <laughs> and and the whole thing. It's just it feels like well, our we ec- aren't yeah. free. We just our aren't economics free. are dominating. Our religion can be dominating. Our relationships can be dominating. Yeah. We see it all over. Right. I'm going to be that tough dad. I'm going to be. I'm going to. I'm going to be hierarchical in my marriage and make sure you obey me as the man. Or my children got to obey me, or else they're going to get a whipping. Mm-hmm. And uh, all those foreigners are going to get a whipping, and our enemies are going to get a whipping. And it's this idea that really is built out of fear but it is aggressive it is a a game of winners and losers and it is a game that is that is reveling in a certain kind of cruelty so that you don't get to end up on the other side of it right you don't want to be the 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 bad end the the lower end you don't want to be the 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 small guy on the bottom of the ladder you want to be the big guy on top of the ladder because that that way it looks at least uh more pleasing than than to be scraping by and not having anything, right? And one of the reasons we have observed that there has been a a rise, not in racism per se, perhaps, but a rise in vocal racism, uh, explicit Mm -hmm. racism, amongst otherwise humane people, amongst otherwise religious people, um, is because I think as people that were in the middle class in America are starting to feel weaker and weaker, they need to blame somebody. They need to say, well, I'm feeling weak, so I need to go make somebody else feel weak so that I'm not the bottom. Well, and, you know, the other thing is, is it it seems like even with more and more opportunities, more success, then there's just further expectation for even more success that people have. Yeah. We recently listened to, I guess there was a a rant from Tom Cruise. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And it was mm. he was basically upset that people weren't wearing the covid masks, thinking that they're going to get shut down. Reasonable request for a workplace. Yeah. And I'm thinking to me and I don't know for sure what his intentions are, but my guess is, is he wants to work and he needs a certain amount of money to afford the to continue to afford the life that he has. And so even though you feel like he might have millions and millions, he's also probably still overextending himself or has a lot of bills to pay or things or whatever and wants to maintain a lifestyle. But if I may, you keep going to the money, and I, and I agree with the money. But I think that the thing about domination, it, 
it uses money to dominate. Yes. And it uses money as the marker of winners and losers. But it doesn't have to be that. It right. could be that I'm tougher than you, um, that I'm just in general more popular than you. Yeah. You know, it's it's the bullying mentality. The power. Yeah, and I really want to focus on that because yeah. it could be sex, drugs, rock and roll, all those other ways that it expresses itself. What I'm worried about is the way in which in 2020, if you look at all these problems, that that yeah, it's money. People pe- feeling powerless about their money that leads to bullying and racism mm-hmm. and negativity and ha- hatred. We see this, but I think the biggest the biggest sadness th- that I experienced over 2020, and now that's kind of over, like that cycle of, of the politics is over. Um, I can just say confidently that um, you know people made people made decisions where they had to hold their nose and vote and, and do whatever and support them over. But there were a number of people that were members of faith communities. And I'm going to call out specifically evangelical, white evangelical Americans who chose the way of Molech over the way of Christ. And mm-hmm. it's just a fact. Mm-hmm. Now, maybe the way of Christ is, is, for, is for cucks and simps and losers, you know, and I've heard people, you know, sometimes get nervous when I say, you know, God, I remember when I first started seeing this trend really rising up was when, when I said, you know, but don't you read the Bible? The Bible is for underdogs and, and all of the mm, kind I of white this. nationalists. They're like, what are you talking of, about? Um, yeah. It's like kind of quasi fascist folks that, that are in my ex, you know, extra circles. Mm-hmm. They 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 were reading a different Bible. Yeah. They're like, no, God's not the God of the underdogs. I'm like, what with David and Israel and Israel small and Jacob and Esau and I mean, there's all these mm-hmm. examples where the youngest brother gets the right the thing or the one who was not beloved becomes beloved and all this and and I realized that I mean this is exactly what happened in in Germany in the in the the rise of national socialism. There were people reinterpreting Christianity so that it wasn't so weak. You know, it was like too soft. Christianity made people too compassionate. And this lesson is about compassion. This lesson is about the opposite of this. And in 2020, I want to say one more time and I will move on. Um, the, the evangelical church, I don't know why, but my, my, my suspicion is feeling not powerful, feeling so for so long that they weren't cool with the cool kids, weren't woke with the wokesters. Mm-hmm. Whatever it was, there was this backlash of evangelicals that saw people like Eric Metaxas uh, punching somebody, mm. punching a protester. Mm. Yeah, maybe that protester was an idiot and he was cussing, but like, here's no, a guy who's writing man. about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and writing about somebody who's following the way of Jesus to to the point physical, of death physical violence and he's acting is, he's acting like mm-hmm. a, a like a you know like a thug mm. and not apologetic about it in that sense i mean i don't know what he said afterwards but i mean there's that sense in which that's what you get you mm-hmm. know that's that you know where did that come from well that's christianity that's an american christianity thing um i don't think it's true christianity I think it's a heretical form of Christianity. I think it's not just that, an embarrassment. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it's hard, It's hard, you know, when we were on the, the podcast with our atheist friend, um, saying, it's like, yeah, we're Christians, but it's like, don't we're, always we're like, not afraid to say we're embarrassed about it. Well, embarrassed about... Not Christ. No, right. <laughs> embarrassed that to be connected sometimes with certain versions of yeah. Christianity. And with, if they steal the logo at some point, right. you just got to say, I'm not that. Whatever you think Christian is, I'm not that. That yeah. main, that main, you know, <laughs> boilerplate version from the, 
the white evangelicals from Affluentville. I, I want to pause for a second and read just a, a short portion of chapter 42 of the Tao Te Ching because I think it really is connecting with what we've been talking about recently. Yeah, and let me just say, we're going to be looking at 42, 69, 67, 30, and 31. Not all of each, but these, <laughs> there's a lot here, and yeah. it's really important. Right. And so the second 42. half of chapter 42 says, Men loathe being called loner, lonely, or lowly. Yet ancient rulers used to adopt these labels as royal titles. So in life, many losses turn out to be blessings, and many wins turn out to be curses. I affirm what a wise man once said, a violent man will meet an untimely death. I consider this the foundation for all my teaching. Mm. That's odd that you don't see that line come up throughout the 81 chapters, Mm -hmm. but he says, I consider this the foundation of my teaching. Well, that's very similar to what Jesus said, you know, live by the sword, die by the sword. Mm -hmm. I'm sure Jesus is probably quoting somebody. Wouldn't it be funny if they were both quoting some ancient (laughs) (laughs) philosopher? But, but it's a, it's, it's not uncommon for people to, to, to note that, that if you're a violent person, you will lead uh, very often to an untimely death, a yeah. uh, either an early death or sometimes a violent death. And the other thing, it's just kind of an interesting fact, is when we were doing the Protector Noggin with Jesus series, one of the least listened to episodes is Be a Loser. Isn't that wild? Yeah, no one just, nobody, <laughs> People I'm not, don't not want, interested. They don't want... They won't, don't want to be associated with being a loser, which is exactly what is being said. It would be funny here. if we would have called it just be a winner. And see what. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, people want to win. <laughs> they don't want to lose. But but it isn't. So in the royal titles, what he's saying is they would use words that were considered lower. What you're, mm-hmm. what That's sort of the idea of servant leadership, right? Like yeah. you are, and think about it too. They would have to kind of forsake their own selves. I mean, even we saw this in the crown too, when you are going to be in the royal family or whatever, like what your own individual life was had to kind of disappear so that you can maintain what the title, what the role is, mm. right? And it present that. So you'd have to put away sometimes your own personal desires or wishes as wants as a person. And in a weird way, I mean, it, the crown really opened up my eyes to the fact I never really ever wanted spotlight or that kind of thing anyway. But how much that can be a very lonely life and how much like you don't aren't able to do what you actually want to do. Right. Right. You're almost a prison to that title, like Mm. or in prison from that title or something, you know, it's like, anyway. um, But the, the, the one thing though is different here is, you know, we think about all, all the high and mighty titles that sometimes people will want as monarchs or whatever. There is a, a way in the East where, Often we would see, as we were traveling through China, um, the phrase Wu Wei mm. over very powerful, dominating structures. Mm. So it is true that this idea of servant leadership was part of the ideal for a ruler in many dynastic cases. I mean, mm. that, was, that was at least given lip service. In a way that many times in the West it's not. So there's a there's a there's a very yang flow in the West. There yeah. is very little besides the way of Jesus, besides the teachings of Jesus and Saint Francis. Very little says, "Play it cool, mm-hmm. pull it back." Mm-hmm. That's an Eastern thing. That's a Buddhist thing. That's a Tao thing. That's uh, you know, um, it's a sage like thing in Jesus. But you don't you don't see it a lot elsewhere. Otherwise, you're saying no. It's it's Charlemagne. It's the the tallest, most powerful, warlike dude that's 
that's praised. And so, especially in the West, even though we've got this, you know, cross over our buildings that we worship in, very often in the West, we're still serving the way of power. And and, and one of the reasons I, I came to be very interested in this idea of Molech is because Molech shows up in the Hebrew Bible where people are specifically not to be worshiping any other gods but Yahweh. And yet, not only are they worshiping a different god from Yahweh, Molech, they're sacrificing their babies to this god. So, they're doing something bad and they're worshiping a false god. They're afraid. And it's out of fear. They're afraid of what would happen if they don't. So, this is the way of not doing harm. And so, we talked about it in the, in the first chapter. We said, don't try to control things. And this is about being controlling. But I want us to, to think not now just about controlling, but it's an attitude. It's a spirit. It's a spirit of the bully. It's a spirit of the cruel man, as opposed to the meek who inherit the earth in Jesus' teachings. So, this, this, you know, this idea of violence um, not only is in Jesus, but it also comes up in, in uh, Indian traditions. It comes up in some of the stuff you've with worked yo- at. With yoga, yoga yeah. yeah. yeah it's called they, ahimsa. Right. And that's one of the, the yamas. So, there's the yamas and niyamas. But basically, uh, they're sort of guidelines or ethical disciplines. And the yamas are restraints. And so, ahimsa is one of those. It's nonviolence or non-harm basically. And it's, it's, so it's like, do no harm to others or any, anything like anything that you're doing. Right. And it might sound like, okay, so it, I often think of violence. I think of physical violence. I think of the, right. the hitting or the, the fighting pacifism. Right. And sometimes like the tradition of the giants, um, or spelled J A I N, uh, a very austere sect within Indian religion, the, the Jains, um, they don't even want to crush a little bug. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, it's yeah, very, yeah, yeah, yeah. very much pacifist, nonviolent, but go ahead. Um, yeah. And, and one thing I think to, to be very clear here is in the Tao Te Ching, Lao Tzu is not a pacifist. So that is, that is one thing. Yeah, certainly not an a- absolute pacifist. No, right. Definitely prefers the way of nonviolence. Correct. But when you need to, sometimes you have to step up, but the, the non, the nonviolence, it, it's so much better bigger so that it's basically if you really kind of take it to like i don't know uh more of like the fullness of it it really is to be in right relationship with everything around you and so whenever you are kind of squashing or ever dominating Mm -hmm. something you know or, or not allowing others to speak not allowing even others to have their own opinions to thrive to be right they're stepping on them Yes, you are stepping on them. And it can be in some small ways and it can be sometimes in big ways. Like just even even if you're in a conversation and you're dominating the conversation, there can be a way in which maybe you need to do more listening and let the other person, you know, share if they want to share, especially if you just keep butting in and talking over them, right? That that's a small thing and, you know, obviously like this isn't this is not like in the category like say like with we're not talking about sin here or anything like that, you know. Um what do you mean? I wouldn't say that it's like, this isn't saying like, you're going to go to hell if you are violent in any way to somebody, right? Oh, when you're talking about like the yamas and the niyamas, right. this is more about th- the way. This is the rather way. Rather than merit and demerits mm-hmm. for heaven and hell. Right. And the, you know? and the, but it still would be a sin in the sense that f- sin, if I, I know you mean from the Western tradition, but if you think about sin in the best 
definition. Sin is not hitting the mark. So if we want to live the true way, if you want the the true way is the Tao. So So going off, so going away from the Tao, Mm -hmm. going away from the Tao is sin. Yeah. But what you mean is it's not a sin like you're getting these things counted against you and, and, you know. Right. Like, right. That's what, that's what I meant yeah. by it. But, not not but, here in the Tao Te Ching, at least. Right. And, but the thing here is that, that, like I said, when you are in, when you're no longer in right relationship, when you are being a little too dominant or overpowering in any way, you're out of balance. That's mm. all it is. And then when you are out of balance, there will be negative repercussions for you so it's only it's your own in your own best interest to be in right relationship with everybody and everything around you well and if we also understand how interconnected we all are both in a spiritual way and in a an ecological sociological way then when i step on somebody else and crush somebody else that lack of balance causes unhealth yes um you know, you were talking about like when, uh, when you when you check in on each side of your body mm-hmm. when you're doing yoga, when you're helping people do yoga, and you, I never understood why people did this, but you'd say like, you know, how does this side feel versus that side? Why Especially do you do that? if we've, you know, we did a stretch and held it for a long time right. on the right side, say, and then when you come out of that pose and now you're like sitting there sort of feeling your entire body and how and start to move with that and how does one side feel versus the other and you did say that to you it almost seemed like here we talk about not judging our bodies but why that, are you always asking me to judge <laughs> which side yeah my and left I, side hamstring is always having a hard time and i was and it's not it's not for judgment it's just an awareness of where your body is at because if it is out of balance that other side needs attention and so we need to do you know like you want that stretch on on the other side as well and you want to free up that space and there are times where we carry more of our burden and our stress or whatever on one side or the other right i i'm left-handed so i use my left shoulder and all of that stuff way more i'm also able to do more with that side because i have exercised it but more. when you're not balanced you know, you were talking about one person that it affected their physical appearance. Yeah. So, and that was my, my, uh, my yoga teacher that, you know, the one that taught me to be a yoga teacher. She, uh, was saying that, that she was basically trying to do all these, uh, handstands and she wanted to get really good at it and impress, uh, you know, a love interest that she had at the time. And so she, basically kept practicing it, practicing it. She thought she nailed it. And so she took a picture of herself doing the the handstand. And then she looked and she realized that she had uneven butt cheeks, but that's because while she was in yoga and doing her, whenever she would teach, she would demonstrate only on one side and not, you know, also demonstrate on the second side. And so she was developing stronger muscles on one half of her body than what she did on the other. Yeah. And so I would say like even it's probably it, it'll do it'll do you good if you're used to carrying a lot of your weight with one arm <laughs> just bring the other arm up to speed and give it a little bit of of chance to to carry some of the load and catch up right and even yeah. out your body. Now note the note the value of this metaphor this lesson for life. When one side takes advantage of something and the other side suffers, the whole body starts to get out of whack. Right. You start to have um, your back 
is going to be sore. I, I noticed that when I'm sitting too often in one position, I'm not being very ergonomic as I do my work these days on the couch in the corner here so I can look out the window. Um, I'm always leaning to the left. Mm-hmm. And then I have this kind of sciatic pain on the right. And so I had to kind of like do some of your little you know, yoga Movements. stretches to kind yeah. of get that to stop hurting. And I think that this is true for everything. If, if there's a marriage and one person is just getting crushed and the other person's taking advantage of that, ultimately the overall health of the marriage is going to be negative for both people. Absolutely. And so this is true. It's what you bring together, that balance of being together and what you each offer in that relationship that makes it whole, that makes it complete. Whatever your politics, and and I can say this with certainty because there are are libertarians who even are, are talking about things like universal basic income. doesn't matter whether that works practically. It does matter whether you care about that. If you think that it's going to be acceptable for people to be making billions and billions of dollars and then the workers in that same corporation are struggling to pay pay for the rent or pay for the, the lease on the car that they're using to deliver madly for Christmas, you know, all the packages, at some point that lack of health is going to come back to hurt you. It could take the form of a, an actual revolution. It could take the form of the economic collapse that takes away the structures and the systems that allow you to live that uh, that nice life. We've seen it before in the past. Mm-hmm. We've seen it in the, in the Hebrew Bible. You know, the, the book of Amos, go read it. You know, it's like you're, you're hanging out on these nice beds of ivory and you've got these really nice carved spoons and people have a hard enough time just getting food. This in the long run is not going to be healthy for the system. Right. Um, even though the system is what's crushing everybody. So Ahimsa... And one of the things I want to mention with Ahimsa too is they they say it's really important for you to recognize when you feel powerlessness. Because it's when you feel powerlessness that you are more likely to harm others. Mm -hmm. It will come out in other ways. Like when, when sometimes I know when I felt like I couldn't or didn't have a voice, it would start to make me angry. Yes. And I would, would find that people would sort of back off and give me space if I, if I came with, the, with some anger that gave me a little bit of power in a situation where I felt powerlessness. Yeah. And so that out of balance will have ripple effects mm-hmm. in your life and on other people. And it will affect like, I mean, you're even the whole home dynamic. It can affect your whole workplace dynamic. So if you see so like a coworker or somebody acting out in some of these strange ways and, you know, there, there could be this, you know, a powerlessness that they are, that is the, the real source to their behavior. But that lashing out, that anger, that cruelty, as much as it can provide like a, a, a porcupine protection, it may end up bringing that person back to loneliness. The kids don't come over for Christmas. Exactly. They're not invited to the work parties. Yeah, you've dominated. You win. Right. And that's why in that text, and it says, you know, sometimes winning is actually a curse. Yes. And sometimes losses turn out to be blessings. And the person who rises up by crushing everybody, that's a dangerous place to be in. Well, in and especially run. because... Ultimately, people aren't going to want to help that person when that person does need others because you can't always 
complete projects or <laughs> even, you know, like assignments at work without going through other departments and things, right? And if everybody has been soured to work with you, you're not going to be able to get <laughs> as much done. Even bats know this. There are, you know, a lot of people probably don't like vampire bats. I understand why. I don't like my blood being drawn, so I'm not, I'm not going to say I'm a big fan. But uh, it's a interesting little um, reality that when the bats fly around and they need to find a, a beast to land on and then drink its blood, say an ox, and then they fly back, they have enough energy for what they need the next day and they have sustained themselves for that day. Sometimes they don't find anything. So if a bat comes back to the cave and is hungry, mm. it probably won't be able to make it out uh, the next day. So it goes around begging mm. for other bats who have been fed that are filled to share. And this isn't really altruism. This is the mutual benefit of the community that right. helps you survive in the future unless you're stingy. And what these bats will do is if they go over to a bat and ask a full bat for some extra food that they will regurgitate, as gross as that sounds, um, if there's a stingy or stubborn one, mm -hmm. the other bats remember that that bat is stubborn and they will not feed it the next time. Mm. And, and I think this is also true. This is, this is karma in that <laughs> sense, right? This is that, yeah. that human karma. Now, we're talking about all of this in our personal lives. So the way of domination in your family is disastrous. The way of domination in your business is often ultimately going to get people coming at you. Right. And people think that that's the way to do it. There are some people who are successful yeah. and at the top, but very often it, it is c catastrophic. Yeah. And I want to take this one more level, uh, especially with non-harm, because we can harm ourselves with negative self-talk. And the way we treat ourselves, we are not going to treat other people any better ultimately than like what, what if we're ne negative towards ourselves, that will come out. That will bubble out of us right and it will be it's the the viewpoint from which we can view the entire world around us and when we see it through that lens then you if it's negative you will be pushing that out in your actions and your behaviors the words that you say and things like it'll come out and if if you aren't safe with yourself you're not safe to other people. Mm. And sometimes it's even more literal in terms of, of how it, uh, this harm against ourselves can play out. When I am disappointed in myself and I drink too much and I eat bad food to just kind of wallow in my own failures or something, I'll, I don't get hangovers. This is my problem. But like theoretically, right? You yeah. could get a hangover the next day. Um, I certainly will feel like I need more water. I'll feel a little sluggish mm -hmm. if I'm not taking care of myself. So you can, you can be imbalanced in your own life and you're harming your future self. Right. You can make decisions today that are going to cause a person called you three weeks from now to suffer. Right. You know? And I think that the, the hard part is, is that when we don't, when we are sort of frustrated in our own lives, there is a temptation to then look around you and try to, so called, and I'll put a little quotes, fix other people. Right. And that also, when you're fixing and imposing yourself on others, is once again another way of us 
dominating them, telling them what we think. We, if we don't have our own stuff figured out, I mean, even Jesus says this about the law, you know, the log, and are we trying to take the speck out of our brother's eye when we got the log in our own eye, right? Mm-hmm. But if we, if we're not comfortable with ourselves and that's just too messy, <laughs> looking and fixing other people, uh, you know, through our own lens of what we think they need, right? Well, that kind of <laughs> can be a kind of violence. It is. You know, that's we'll talk about I'm that saying. in a future show. Yeah. Um, and how people can do that even when they're sounding like they're loving. But all of this, we're talking about personal life. We're talking about professional life. We're talking about our love life. But really, in many ways, the Tao Te Ching is set within this period of uncertainty politically and violence Mm -hmm. and war. It's set in a time when you have these baddies called the legalists. And in many ways, um, while there's often the kind of narrative that the the people like, uh, like Lao Tzu are opposing the way of the conservatives like... Um, like Confucius, not opposing it, but just saying, you know what, there's, there's even a better way. Uh, the one thing that the, the, that the Taoists really did not like, and I'm with them on this, is this tradition of legalism. At the very basic level, the idea that laws are going to make us better, I think, is problematic. I think that's a very much an American mistake. Conservatives and liberals in America think they're going to fix morality, that we're going to fix society through liberal democracy of a Democrat or Republican style, but that it's going to be legislated. We're going to legislate us into a healthy and wholesome society. Mm-hmm. Um, but in many ways, the, the, the Tao Te Ching is opposing legalism. Uh, it is opposing the cruelty of legalism. In, in some uh, forms of it, in ancient China, you would get a group of people, they would, they would put people into groups, either families or households or, you know, five to ten men. And if one person didn't show up to the battle, or if one person didn't follow the rules, or if one person stepped out of line, they'd all get killed, or they'd all get punished in some way. They'd all be flogged. They'd all lose privileges. So that these laws caused you to turn other people in if they were breaking the laws. Gotcha. We see this today, of course, with um, you know, with the mask. People are walking around, you know, with masks, and like, are you in trouble for for like wearing a mask or not wearing a mask? Somebody's going to be mad at you, and it's all fought about rules instead of. I think the primary concern for Lao Tzu would be, what are we doing? Are we harming other people with our actions? That's right. the real key question. But all of this takes us to politics and war. Really, that's what this has. That's different from our first lesson. This is about. A general society. And that's why I think we really need to not just think about it in the family, not just dominating in the home, not just being a bully in your relationships, but worshiping a way of society that favors the bullies rather than the peacemakers. Mm -hmm. And that is where America has gone dangerously into a a dangerous space, um, especially within conservative Christianity and other forms of conservative religion, but it's primarily conservative Christianity that is upholding this tough boot up your butt kind well, and, of and I'm, I'm curious tough maybe kind of. and maybe I'm totally off the wall here but let me just throw this out there I mean if the way that even um, you know with all the explorers and stuff like they come over to America and they they basically try to start up a society. We like to call them explorers in English, but they were also conquistadores. <laughs> they're like, you know, like conquerors. That's yeah. domination yeah. system, right? Exactly. Like they're not coming with like, hey, let's bring the way of right. peace and European in- enlightenment. And no, then, we're coming over to dominate yeah. you. So, and I'm thinking here when the European colonizers, they come over, 
all of a sudden, like there's the, what these they realize there's these long hard winters that there's this scarcity of some resources, right? First of all, they're they're coming over. Why they probably they want the opportunity. They feel like they want more than what they were they had over in Europe. Right? Well, I can answer this question partly for you. Yeah, scarcity. Yeah, overpopulation. There was very dense. Western Europe had become very dense. They didn't have enough. Um, crops. The king kind of controlled a lot of forests that they weren't cutting down because the king wanted to keep the king's forest. So people needed food and space. So then they came here and realized what seemed like there was going to be a lots of opportunity, but it was really difficult and really hard as well. Well, it was hard because they weren't flowing with the Dow. Right. right. I mean, this happened from Florida. Right. I mean, when we were in Florida, we we're going, how do you starve to death in Florida with all this flora <laughs> and fauna? The answer is they couldn't grow their European crops in that right. white sand. So they were too rigid in mm-hmm. what they thought would be how, how, how is this done? <laughs> and yeah, they weren't, they weren't moving with the weather and all of, all of that. And, and you know what else they didn't do? They didn't, they didn't make friends with the native people no, and learn from because them. Because they wanted the land. They, and they wanted, wanted to dominate them. And they, they couldn't the space. They couldn't tell they couldn't assume that the dominated people had anything to teach them. <laughs> and if they would have just I mean, this happened in, in Greenland when Danish people starved to death because they wouldn't eat seals, which, you know, I like seals, but like that's how you live there. Mm-hmm. Uh, or fish, because I think one of I don't know one of those one of the kings that had gone from Scandinavia out to to Greenland was probably allergic to fish so he said well fish is bad in general so nobody was eating fish they starved to death and they didn't have to if they would have just talked to the First Nations people there and and right. treated them like human beings and listened and were reciprocal the way so, of domination in so their once, case was literally death yeah and so once once you were out of balance. Yeah. With your world around you, yep. there is scarcity, right? Yep. There is now a survival of the fittest mentality of I need to get whatever I can because I want to end up on top here. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I want to share because I don't know where my next meal might come from. Even if I, you know, had a good crop of something, I might want to store it up and save it for a, a hard winter. Right. People that are guarding their hoard are never really happy. People that are starving, trying to get that hoard are not really happy. Right. It's people who are sharing mutually and beneficially and thriving together. That's where happiness comes. Right. That's what we see in hunter-gatherer society, in communities that are able to do that. Right. Now, then this takes us to warfare. It takes us to statecraft. Would you read uh, chapter 69? That really takes us to what Lao Tzu wants to say about this in, in, the, in the bigger picture of politics and war. Absolutely. So chapter 69, old military wisdom advises, when it comes to war, I don't plan the party, but I'll show up if invited. I'd never consider seizing an inch of your ground, only whether I'll concede a foot of my own. This is gaining ground without rigid marching, raising a fist without throwing the first punch, engaging enemies without considering them enemies, arming yourself with something stronger than weapons. There's no worse catastrophe than disregarding your adversary. One time, I disregarded an adversary, and it nearly cost me my treasures I hold dear. All else being equal, when there's a fight, the side that laments having to fight wins in the end. What's interesting about this is it fits so well with what um, 
one of my former students, Joe Pop, who is sometimes on the uh, podcast uh, History Suite, which is a <laughs> kind of a sub-podcast of the Quibono cast that I uh, oversee at Concordia. And uh, he is going into uh, training as an officer in the Marines, the Marine Corps. And he was talking about this, um, this question of counterinsurgency. And I'll, I'll link to this. Um, but what he basically shows is that um, very often states and regimes want to use just brute force to put down insurgency. And it can work. And the only way it can work in those kind of settings is genocide. Is where you just, the people, the people that are, you know, not with you, mm-hmm. you've got to get rid of all of them. Otherwise, they'll rise up against mm-hmm. you. Or you can seek to understand what they want. You can, you can find a way to be flexible. You can try to figure out how can you get them something that is mutually beneficial. And you do this through compassion. You do this through understanding. But if I have to win and you have to lose, that's that's the way of death, and it doesn't doesn't last long. Mm-hmm. Somebody eventually is going to come and get you. And disregarding, I like that language that we used because disregarding means means the opposite of regard. I regard you. I, I notice you. I see you. Mm-hmm. So if I don't see the poor people or the people that I'm occupying or the people of the country I'm occupying, if I don't understand them, if I don't see them, I'm doomed. This is why. Vietnam didn't work out so well. Mm-hmm. This is why Israel and Gaza was a was a tricky business. This is why the the Soviets couldn't really you know for all their power and, and brutality they couldn't they couldn't contain the Afghanistan uh, situation. Um, so these these counterinsurgencies when you're using Yang mm-hmm. <laughs> exclusively Yang it doesn't work. And when you say well we're the powerful people we're the powerful empire or whatever uh, they, they will win just through bombs and brute strength, that is when you can almost lose everything. Yeah. Well, one thing too, really fast. Um, I thought that Derek Lynn had a uh, helpful illustration here for this particular chapter. And he's talking about basically in karate, how, you know, if you're, if you're standing there and you're waiting for the, if you wait for the other person to, you know, give their first move, right. Then, so that's, what you do is if they're going to give the move first, because he, what he's saying here is he's never going to um, try to get your land. He's just going to concede, you know, some of his, right? At some point he might not let you take a whole <laughs> foot. He's not going so to take an inch of might, your land, but he, you know, if, if you're going to push him too far, eventually he's going to have to react. He, yep. And he might enter into that arena and, and begin the fight. So if he looks and, and waits and sees what the first move of the enemy is, mm-hmm. he has, gained ground already because he kind of is clued in on what the what the enemy's up to what they might what their move is what their line of attack could be right and then when it talks about uh when in the data it talks about raising a fist it's almost like as if you're putting your arm up to block the move okay Mm. so somebody's coming at you they show you what you got you put your arm up and you block it Mm. and then so you you block that punch right Mm -hmm. and then it's when you do that, you kind of throw them off and then you can go in and do now your punch and react accordingly. And that whatever, whatever you do now in reaction is far stronger than what you would have done coming out of the gate. Does that make sense? Because yeah. you know what they're, where, how they're approaching it. It also kind of reminds me of even what we <laughs> learned about chess, even in the queen's gambit, when the uh, stronger opponent is often the one that will make the first move. Right. 
when you're doing the tournaments and things like that, right? The one that's on top, the, the one that's to be defeated. They make the first move and that's going to set sort of the direction of the, the chess game. Right. And you can then sort of know what they're doing and then you can kind of respond accordingly. Whether or not you're successful, it probably, I mean, it just depends on <laughs> whether, you know, how, how strong your enemy is, how much, you know, what are, how are, how are you in relation to them? Or, you know, some people definitely are better equipped at certain things, right? If there's a bigger army, if there's a bigger, you know, you never know. Like, you may not be able to win this fight. But at least you'll get some indication of what's going on. Yes. You'll be able to, to, to get a sense and of move accordingly. the landscape. And yeah. make decisions accordingly. You know, will you go ahead and fight to the death or are you going to back down because you realize, wait a minute, I can't, I can't defeat this enemy. Now, one thing that we haven't said enough about, but it's certainly something that I've been aware of, and, and that is that in many ways, Lao Tzu's teaching here is a kind of anarchy. And I almost wanted to use this language of anarchy here in, 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 the, in the next chapter, chapter 67, we'll talk about here in a second. And, and that's because... Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of some of these Christian anarchists that I've read, like Jacques Ellul, and I see that there is a way of reading the entirety of the Bible. I mean, it's hard to to say that the Bible is easily consistent in terms of its flow. There's just different themes that that flow throughout it. But one thing that I find pretty pretty common throughout the Bible, at least in Jesus and in Genesis and in Exodus, is a rejection of the way of domination, a rejection of power. Abraham leaves the way of domination in Ur of the Chaldees. That is a kind of Molech system with a big ziggurat where you sacrifice people. Um, the way of Jesus is to turn the other cheek, um, is not to deny the injustice, but to subvert it in creative ways that do not involve yang, mm -hmm. violence. Mm -hmm. And um, anarchy means uh, a re the rejection of this idea that you have to have domination for society be to be peaceful. Right. And it is a bad word, largely because nobody's on its side, because everybody's trying to run things. Mm -hmm. So the Democrats aren't a fan of anarchy. The Republicans aren't a fan of anarchy. Nobody wants to say they're a fan they of want, anarchy. They want the power. Right. The only people that, don't, that want anarchy are people who don't want power. Now, there are people that are dangerous people that are people I don't, I don't agree with that call themselves anarchists. There were, you know, punks in, in Thatcher's Britain that were throwing bricks through windows. And while I have sympathies for some of the things they were worried about, that's not what I mean. Anarchy means saying no to the whole game of domination. Yeah. And so in that sense, absolutely Jesus was an anarchist. Absolutely Lao Tzu was, uh, was an anarchist. Now you can't, and this is my problem with this election cycle, you can't really easily be consistent, I think. Sometimes, maybe, maybe you could. Maybe I'm just not imaginative enough. But sometimes I think you have to, you know, you have to engage the political system that you got. Mm -hmm. You know, some anarchists, you know, many anarchists will say, I'm just not going to vote at all because it, it legitimizes, it legitimizes the injustice of these, these bad options. You know, I mean, it's, 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 it's something that you have to figure out on your own. How do you apply it? Anarchy is more like libertarianism in, in the, in the pure sense. Uh, libertarianism has been kind of taken over as well these days. 
I would say both both anarchy and libertarianism as terms have been taken over by ne'er-do-wells on various sides of the political spectrum. But when they're at their purest, anarchy and libertarianism can be very healthy as correctives to statism. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think there's, there is one of the chapters where Lao Tzu basically kind of basically says you need laws when society starts to break down. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because you, when you mentioned anarchy, it was like, Oh, no, there's just such a negative connotation. But that's because, like you said, the powers that be, they want to threaten that there's just going to be yeah. absolute chaos. Oh, you need me or else it'll be anarchy. No, anarchy is great. Anarchy means <laughs> no, one's, no one's enslaving anyone. Right. Now, the problem is when you just get rid of police and governments and stuff and somebody else could fill in in that vacuum then that's, and then that's create a new archon. There will be, yeah. An archon is and, a ruler. Mm-hmm. Um, but even, you know, it's like the, the, the way of Christianity in the early church, they said, no, we don't lord it over others the way the Gentiles do. What that means is we don't, we don't archy people. We're not in the game of archy. Right. And so anarchy just means we're not playing that game. So who's a real anarchist? Mm, the Amish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of right i mean it's this idea that that the hierarchy is not necessarily the way of of truth and peace and love and well, and and the unfortunate thing too i just want to before we move on i want to make sure that what's interesting with the even with the police is you know the, the police you think that they're supposed to be there to protect the peace i feel like there's this feeling sometimes where I feel like they're looking to catch people <laughs> doing something wrong. Right. And so it's like... That's a, more of that legalistic <laughs> idea of what police and forces just do. simply a, a little mind shift where if the, you know, when, when it all is at its best, we want the policemen around to help keep the peace. Sometimes yeah. you need somebody that's going to break up a fight, right? Yeah. I love being in places in Europe where we have that sense that the the police are there to step in if somebody's getting out of hand and hurting somebody else. Mm-hmm. So I like the yes. I like the police to be there as uh, some you know somebody that's going to come in and they're trained to handle this drunk guy, as opposed to somebody's hiding behind a sign waiting for me to go <laughs> fifty five and a forty five. And that gets a, and they also sometimes get a little bit high on their power that they yeah. have because. They that's do. the whole problem. They have power over you. So it's not like you have to get rid of law enforcement altogether. It's just this idea that... The mindset. The mindset of a, of a police force that says, you need to obey my authority. And I will, I'll will take it one step farther. Some of you can be really angry at me. I am not very comfortable with these blue line flags. These, these, the blue line flag, if you've, you know, if you've seen it, it's this idea of the thin blue line. If you don't have us, if you don't have this thin blue line, then all of the crazies are going to come and they're going to invade. All the dark-skinned people are going to come and invade your beautiful little town and everything's going to go bad and they're going to they're gonna destroy everything that you hold dear. That fear is what propagates this kind of unhealthy domination system within police forces at a local level that result in toleration within the force for the domination system that leads to abuse of power and and violence. And as long as we've got that, society isn't healthy, cities aren't healthy, and I don't care, again, you're rich, you're poor, you're white, you're person of color, mm-hmm. we do not need a world in which we think that the police are these dominators that are coming. And if you if you are like us, like <laughs> growing up as suburban white people and you're still scared when you see a black and white car kind of coming up behind you and you're not doing anything wrong, right. you're just trying to figure out, like, well, right, what are they going to figure out that I did wrong? Right. What, Why are they going to mess with you, me? You try, I go through this like mental yeah. like checklist of like, 
do I have any lights that are not working in the car? Yeah. Like, you know, is, did I, was I speeding? No, I wasn't speeding. Did I, you know, is there yeah. a law that I broke? But our black <laughs> and brown friends, when they have kids that turn 16, 17, and I have to see the different level of anxiety that they feel. Yeah. We get worried, you know, I get worried because my, my, my son, you know, he drops the motorcycle and he scrapes up his knee and I feel bad about that. But like, I'm generally not worried other than Sergeant, you know, so-and-so, Busting Augie for being out past the curfew. I'm generally not worried that he's going to be beaten to a pulp. Right. And, um, but there are people that do. People that go to our church yeah. that have had that yeah. happen. Yeah. To so why, you know, or, or Micah almost getting uh, get, getting shot because because his uh, his friend wasn't waking up and he We're was trying to record Micah, Micah who's black Micah and Bernay, he's, and he's in, a, in Long Beach. Yeah, and he's in like this Orange Orange County uh, neighborhood, just sleeping in his car, and they. The cops like we're gonna draw 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 arms on him and and like it wasn't gonna go well because he was sleeping. Oh, and just in his car, on a little waiting side for his waiting for his friend to wake up to record. Yeah, and a little side note, <laughs> I think we should just put in the show notes um, some sort of link because Micah just came out with his audio book of his new. Oh yeah, book. that'll be and good. That, yeah. Anyway, sorry, a little little. No, that's good. There, but. No, but and and I think the reason that's important is because as I'm looking over your shoulder there, I see Micah's poster "Fight Evil with Poetry." Um, from from an earlier project that he did, and and uh, if you want to see some of this from his vantage point, what his experiences or the experience of his friends and family members, yeah, like read this book, no, listen, listen to the listen book, to the yeah. Book, well, think. either way, it, you know, either, buy yeah, it both, way. you know, yeah, do both. <laughs> um, but the but the the reason is, I think that he does a good job through poetry to show us what the what the pain is. It's not like we're sitting here trying to hate on you guys if you come from a more conservative perspective, right. more authoritarian perspective. I, I'm not trying to force my version on you. Mm-mm. It's just that I know people that have been these hurt. stories and been hurt. And, 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 and I, I think by listening to those stories, by not disregarding people, by regarding people, yeah. you start to learn what's really going on. And in the long run, that's going to be good for all of us. You know mm-hmm. I mean? Look, I want to say one more time and, and, and I'm, you know, this is just facts. It wasn't the Mexican police that shook me down. It was the American yeah. customs that shook me down. Yeah. When we when we took a church group across the border. Hundreds of dollars they, that we yeah, did not have. Yeah. I got, sh- I mean, it, it was all my, I mean, I'm not saying that this isn't, this doesn't go the other way sometimes. I'm just saying there was a, there was a Mexican, Baja California police officer that, that stopped me on the side of the road and gave me a, a free turkey coupon. And then on my way back on that same trip, trip, um, uh, two students didn't have like their full paperwork, and so they they I, they forced a bribe out of me. They extorted me. They they extorted they the able, church. They were able to check up online and knew that they had. They knew that the students valid. were valid in everything, the country, yeah. but because they didn't have it they all, had, and, they had photocopies. And yeah, stuff. you know, and this and, was and like this was years and years ago too, before ago. the borders had really tightened up a, a lot more too. But I could tell they didn't just want the hundred dollars mm-hmm. each. They wanted to see me squirm. They loved it. Mm-hmm. They loved it. And I can only imagine that they go home to their, their wife who doesn't respect them or whatever. And they're like, at least I get to make that, that youth worker scared with the, with the German shepherd. And, and I squeezed him for a hundred bucks and now I'm going to, you know. Well, and, and I'll say also it was the, the, the U.S. border agents. There was one time we were in a, in a bus coming back from the only trip that I ever did take to Mexico with the youth group. 
specifically, but that we were in the bus and they were, you know, you're supposed to go through and, and say whether, you know, if you're an American citizen, I'm an American, yeah. you know, United States citizen. And one kid said, Chris, ditto. Not my friend, Chris. <laughs> he says, ditto. Yeah. Which said, nationality? He's then, being a little punk. And so then the, the agent was like, all right, everybody out. And then they just decided to go ahead and do a full on bus search. Yeah. Sort to of, like a church youth group. Why? Because he was teaching us to respect the system of domination, the system that loves to bump knuckles with tight leather gloves. Now, listen, you, you hear where I'm going? Look, this is Jeff and Stacy, <laughs> your friendly neighborhood hippies. We've got cop friends, okay? We're cool. It's like, it's like hey, I'm not racist. I got a black friend. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not anti-police. I got a couple friends that are, that are law enforcement. Your dad was a cop. What I'm saying is... Not all cops are like this, but I will say that there is increasingly this attitude, even especially outside of the police forces, that are that are kind of like egging on this idea, well, and egging on this idea of the domination and the power and, well, the and beat and the sense into these kids. And one of one of your students. Uh, when you were a professor in Kentucky. Don't talk to me about Kentucky. That was a whole other student. Yeah. No, the baseball player who was like a 4.0 student had his face bashed into his into yeah, his car, car because he was from Ohio and he didn't understand the way they do things in, in the Kentucky, country. Yeah. yeah. You see, friends, do we have a chip on our shoulder about this? Kind of. I mean, like, We've I've just seen, seen it lot, straight though. We've seen it. up in the face. Different countries, our country, different parts of the country. It's a toxin. It's a toxin in your family. It's a toxin in your country. It's a toxin in your workplace. It's a toxin in your church. So you don't have to get angry about it. In fact, anger is not going to help it. But you do need to be aware of it. One last point I want to make here in 69 before we move on is when Lao Tzu says that he disregarded an adversary and it nearly cost him uh, his treasures that he holds dear. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, well, what are those? Treasures. Well, he addressed what the treasures were in chapter sixty-seven, which is, is I think, at, at this point, it's worth it, you know exploring what chapter sixty-seven says. Why don't you read chapter sixty-seven? Everyone says my Tao is awesome, that it's like no other. It's awesome, precisely because it's like no other. If it were like anything else, it would have long been forgotten. I have three treasures I will always hold dear. The first is compassion. The second is minimalism. The third is non-domination. Compassion leads to boldness. Minimalism leads to enough abundance to be generous. Non-domination leads to opportunities for greatness. Boldness without compassion, generosity without minimalism, and attempts to be great through domination all lead to doom. Fight evil with compassion. Stand your ground with compassion. Heaven rescues and protects through compassion. When Joe asked, you know, what do you do if you've got empathy, but you're in a position where you're an officer in the military or, you know, in any of these situations where you do have authority? Mm-hmm. how do you not allow your empathy to, to kind of go to the dark side and you can use it to manipulate people? And I finally, like after a while, I, I, I emailed him back. I said, I think I, find, I think I finally figured it out. <laughs> I think it's love. Mm-hmm. But the application of love within the context of 
military occupation, warfare, whatever, just life is compassion. And here it is, right? And this is, you know, the first of the of, of the three treasures. Do you want to talk a little bit about these? We've got compassion, minimalism, and non-dom- uh, non-domination. Let's look at compassion first. Yeah. So one of the things that I've found sort of helpful or interesting, at least when I'm considering compassion, is basically every single person has experienced some sort of of pain or suffered in some way that you or I can't ever fully understand. Everybody has a different thing that they are fighting, right? And there are some people that have a lifetime of it. There, So I, it does go in bigger and smaller doses. So I'm, I'm not trying to say it's all equal. It's not. It really isn't. There, But there is a level of the fact that there is something that they have been through that you would not have been able or don't can't understand. You can't see it. I really still appreciate a shirt that's still holding up that uh, Dan Van Voorst gave me a while back, and it says, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Yes. And I think that that captures that. So yeah. what, yeah, what is that battle, right? And, and so when you see somebody that is acting and acting out in a certain way, we talked about coworkers or whatever, what battle might they be fighting? You know, uh, recognize that there is a battle. Period. You don't even necessarily have to know even the depth of it, right? To to have that compassion, to to understand that they didn't get there on their own necessarily. There's like all sorts of other circumstances that have come in to play that yeah. contributed to this particular behavior. And when when we're able to actually like know for ourselves and know the depth of the suffering that we've gone through, the pain that we've gone through, maybe even the harm we've done to other people and really come to terms with that, then you're able to then sort of have a better understanding to say, at least I don't know enough probably of even their full depth, right? When you've, if we can't even acknowledge or uh, come to terms with that depth in ourselves that we need to, mm-hmm then it's really hard for us to have that compassion on somebody else and to recognize that that's the place that they're coming from because we refuse to see it in ourselves. So how could we see it in somebody else? And this goes so many ways and it's a really great exercise for us, for everybody to think about just the different perspectives that people bring to each circumstance. And sometimes it'll surprise us. Mm -hmm. So for instance, I have a Israeli friend, Israeli American friend, and we talk about the problems of racism in America and we're strategizing ways to to kind of address anti-Semitism and racism in in conservative religious circles, uh, Christian. Mm-hmm. When the Black Lives Matter um, demonstrations started kicking up this summer, I was saying, you know, well, at least one, you know, one good thing that's going on here is that that, that I was worried a little bit that people have become complacent in affluent American society too often about these issues of racial injustice in in the world. And that, you know, I kind of see that while there are potentials for people to turn these things into violent protests, that it's good to see children and parents kind of thinking politically in a way that we haven't in a while and demonstrating when they feel like they should. And he agreed, but then he told me something that really was heavy, Hmm. that when when Martin Luther King Jr. was shot, 
and assassinated. Um, he was, he looks, you know, he's Jewish, but he's white. And he was um, caught in a situation where he was beaten and put into the hospital. Mm. So when he sees, even though we are 100% talking about ways that we can engage our communities for racial justice, when he sees some of these demonstrations, he agrees that these are legitimate expressions of frustration, outrage. But he also realizes that the last time he was too close to it, he accidentally got caught up in the in, in, in the in the the violence. Mm. He was against racism, but because he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, he was singled out and beaten. Mm and put into the hospital. So even as I am calling people out, I understand that there are people that have had their communities lose control of crime. Right. And that they're afraid when they get from their car to their home. Mm -hmm. And they need the police to, to put a beating down on some people every once in a while. And they think, or else their world is going to be intolerably painful. And I understand that there are cops who get out of their car for a routine traffic stop oh, and right. have to worry about being being killed. What's on the other side, yeah. And I don't have to worry about being killed every day on my job, although they, you know, come close <laughs> to finals, you know, it's like it gets a little more hairy. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. no matter where you stand, there's a right and a wrong way. But there's also this practice that's really important here to understand in compassion where people are coming from. Yes, and then minimalism. I think that some of, you know, I, I'm reminded, you know, again... With minimalism, it's 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 that balance, right? That that we all, when we're out of balance, when we have excess and we we hoard things, that not only is it something that somebody else could be using. I'm but, hoarding some things in my tum tum right an, now. It's an extra burden, right? Yep. All of you said your tum tum. The extra weight that. that your body is yep. carrying is putting a toll on yeah. your carrying whole. Carrying up and down. Yeah, like just walking, right? There's, it's more yeah. more pounds and and just feeding blood to all the different parts yeah. of your body. You just make my heart it, work right? harder. Yeah, right. So anytime that we so when we have more of something than what we need, we lose that balance, and that's what the minimalism isn't about. Being um, you know like. Stingy. It's, yeah, it's not stinginess. And we, we could have said frugal, and frugal's good I still or efficient. Think there's, there's the fru, frugal to me still has a little bit of a stinginess yeah. um, connotation to it, or if, it could. Yeah, if you, I mean, frugality, if that works for you, that, that's a good way to think about it. Um, efficiency is good if you mean I'm not going to have an inefficient thing, right? So right. if I need a scooter to zip it back and forth to work instead of a, a gas guzzler, then that would be efficient. What I don't like about efficiency is it ties too much into 19th century industrial revolution, work harder, yeah. you know, get it, you know, like it's, it's no art, it's no beauty. It's, well, like when we were in England, we saw the implications of the arts and crafts movement of, um, of Morris and um, people trying to put Art into the lives of everyday people in the in the, the designs of doorways, mm. and we've come from an America that's just door. Here's a door, <laughs> put the door in. You know what I'm saying? Function, it's yeah. fun, very functional. Uh, um, but minimalism really made a, a, a difference to me, though, uh, especially when we were 
going to live out of the truck camper because yeah. we had to decide, okay, I need, I need a warm coat. So what's my warm coat? You know, I need, you know, you need your, you know, a couple t-shirts or whatever. But if, if we brought too much, it would bog down the truck. It would cost us more gas. Yeah. It would be more stuff that would just be in the space. It's and harder to drive. It's slower to drive up the hill. There's all sorts of reasons why being light is good. It feels and, good. And it's harder to stay organized. I mean, yeah. when when you've got too much stuff, it, you know, like when we have too much in the camper, it, it, everything just becomes unraveled so quickly because we're trying to find places to put stuff. And But even then, I'm always at peace <laughs> in the truck camper. And I always, I always, we spent eight months without like even getting into some of the clothes. Like I just felt like I could live forever with that mansion of a truck camper. Like, I just didn't need any more stuff. I had the whole universe around me. We've got this balcony on the roof that we sit and watch the stars. I've got a whole back seat in the cab that I don't really use for much. Right. We had to to be more selective of what's in the fridge because it would only hold so much so that we didn't waste as much. Right. right? But see, that's the thing. I don't know. I said, when we get back to our our apartment on campus, this is going to be great because we're moving into the apartment. We're going to move out of a three bedroom place. We're going to move into this apartment on campus. And this could be easy. I don't know why we've got so much stuff because we had no problem whatsoever in the RV. Mm-hmm. Now, why do I need what I got here? I don't understand once I move here and, and I'm well, what, actually, what I don't I, need the elements to be protected against as much. And we, we did definitely downsize even more from yeah. when we were moving out of that place into this place. But I, it is funny because some of the stuff we did kept, we did keep uh definitely does help towards us being able to have events and things like that like, like people kind of joke around about like how you i've got an inspector gadget closet <laughs> you've got a solution for every sort of event problem whether it's a microphone an amp some cords, lighting <laughs> lights you know speakers bongos <laughs> guitars we, yeah that's that's nice i don't mind that so and, and that kind of stuff we wouldn't obviously carry with us always on the track although i do want to get i'm trying to figure out i want to go with the, the the didgeridoo, I kind of want you to bring that for you because I like when you play the didgeridoo and I, I wouldn't mind having the ukulele. The djembe needs to stay. <laughs> and then I need the like the sequencer for making some some dope sounds when you're playing. <laughs> and then, and anyway, yeah. and I don't want all the speakers. We I guess digress. we got to get rid of, no, I mean, I digress, but it's like, it's kind of like the jerk if you remember that old movie. It's like, mm. I just need this lamp and this telephone and, but, and, and, but, but minimalism when you can get it down. Yeah. Well, and it's the idea too that there is, I mean, it's just a fact that we do have limited resources, period, on our planet. So the what being able to just have what you need without being overburdened with the rest and allowing other people to share in that. That's what I also like about the uh, Marie Kondo uh, yeah. idea of when, you know, I had this. Marie Kondo is the Japanese lady who will help you tidy. Yeah. She's got the tidy method. And so, and and I know we've talked about it before, but just a brief little thing. When you're looking at something and if you look at it and say, does this bring me joy? And if it does, and then you keep it. And if it doesn't, then you can let it go. And I, I sometimes, I personally have a hard time uh, giving up something if I feel like it still has value, like a, even like clothes and things like that, right? Yes. And what I, I say, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> what it's I, very hard for you. What I loved about that whole idea is, that when if you, if there's a perfectly good shirt, I can thank it for what it brought into my life. But if it no longer gives me joy, then it's time that I can pass this on to now somebody else that it yes. can bring joy to that person rather than staying in a drawer or a closet and never getting used. 
a lot of bad things happened in 2020. One of my favorite things that happened in 2020 is that since we did not have time to work out our irrigation system on the Dow Surfer Ranch, and my friend David was going to be uh, putting in some fruit trees, I said, oh, this is perfect. Now I don't have to drive down and stress out about watering these trees every uh, week and a half. I'm just going to give them to my friend. Yeah. And it's not so much generosity. It's just like the joy of saying, this isn't going to die. I don't want my plum tree to die. Right. I want it to live for somebody that needed it and could use it and was there and able to, 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 to do it. And so this is a treasure, he says. It's not a thing that he does so that he goes to heaven and doesn't go to hell. Right. It's so that he lives in bliss through minimalism. But let's look at, look at the, the, the paragraph. It's really interesting because um, as they, they correlate, they, they correlate to these benefits and they also correlate to these negative things. Now, I guess before we go to those correlations of positivity and negativity, the third treasure, of course, is non-domination. But what I'm saying is that each of these things he calls a treasure. Mm -hmm. It is not a burden. It is not an obligation. If your religion or your ethic or your politics is always just making you feel crummy, like you should feel bad that you're you know, eating nice food and people are starving in Kenya. Mm-hmm. That's not really where it's at. That kind of liberal guilt is not where it's at. Um, non-domination, we've, I think we've talked more than enough about it. That's been the, the overarching theme here. But let's look at each of these. But I think there's a, there's a, there is a key piece to it that I think also is sometimes implied in there. And that is that we often, especially in America, we value sort of that climbing that, success ladder mm-hmm. we we value you know if if all of a sudden a, your son or daughter or even your spouse or whatever gets an advancement in a title at work like you're proud of them like somebody else loses <laughs> your, your kid wins and then you're happy but yeah. you're happy right. and you're so proud of them that they that they earned this or i am happy when my kids are successful <laughs> Right. Yep. Yep. But it's yeah. It's but, but what it's I'm, like going up the hierarchy. What I'm yep. saying is, is that and that sense of you wanting to sort of boast about it. Yeah. <laughs> There's like I am somehow more important because, or my family member is more important because they're rise. You know, and we're I, winners. Yeah. And so, but there is sometimes that idea. Like there are people that definitely um, need to lead, but the idea behind it isn't trying to trample on others to get there. It's that. You take that leadership position once it's offered to you, if you if you desire it. You know, not desire, desire is a weird word, but if you if you want to, if, if you're fit. asked if you're asked yeah. to serve in this way, and you you know you know that this would be like so you could be a natural leader, or as Aristotle would say, you're fulfilling your purpose with excellence. That's virtue. That's great. Right. That's happiness. It's but it is that idea that 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 you already naturally have these qualities, and you are the most fit to be in that position. Yeah. And, and, and so you shouldn't, if you feel that this is a good move for you, it's not about turning down that leadership position. It's just not clamoring for it when you really don't deserve to be there. And sometimes not doing what you'd be good at because you're afraid, that's not the answer. Because why? You're afraid of failure? Right. You're afraid of looking bad? No, it's like, you know, if you're the person that can do it best, you know, give it a shot. That's good for everybody. But let's look at, let's look at these correlate, uh, correlates here. Um, let's look at the way these things correlate to positive and negative results. Let's look at first compassion. Compassion, this is his treasure. It leads to boldness. Boldness without compassion is doom. Mm-hmm. So think about that. So compassion leads to boldness. If I am bold... 
on behalf of a child who's suffering. I don't need to be embarrassed about the the way I look or the way I talk. I'm saying, no, this child's being hurt. You're going to stand up for this. Stand up. I don't care if my hairdo is nice. You see, it's it's in these other mundane things. You know, when we're not doing something for somebody else, but for our our own self-aggrandizement, then yeah, people are going to be poking at, is your makeup wrong? Mm -hmm. But if you're actually standing up for something that is good and you care about somebody, or if if you come to somebody who's hurting and you show them compassion and love, um, you can be bold in that relationship because it's genuine. It's not this negotiated, you know, um, relationship. Um, and then minimalism, this is interesting. Minimalism leads to enough abundance to be generous. Now that's, we're taking a few liberties here, but I, I think that's the intent. If I'm minimalistic, then it's not that I'm poor. It's that I'm richer because I haven't wasted all my money on an excessive car payment and an excessive rent. Mm-hmm. An excessive cost of like no, I can help my kids. I can help my if mom. If you're overextended, you then, can't be of any service, right? And that, I mean, that's true whether it's in our own lives, but also, especially, also, if you're about to go into battle, right? If you are already overextended, you are not going to do well in this this fight, this battle. Yeah. You you will have you will already. You won't be able to defend everything. You won't be able to go aid an ally who's struggling on their front. I mean, whatever it is, if you're if you're just if you're using all your resources to the max, think everything of, is just in danger of of breaking down. Think of like some of those games, like Risk, or there's that other one that the kids got with the berries and all that. <laughs> I can't remember what that one is. I don't know that name. Anyway, yeah. but the point is, is when like when you are overextended, you can't defend all your territories. Yeah. And it yeah. sets you up for basically being able to be conquered and, and lose. Hitler, Napoleon. There's a there have been a lot of these examples mm-hmm. where you get you expand too far and you're doing it for glory, and it actually becomes inglorious. You know, mm-hmm. it's not so uh, not so good in the end. And then, then finally, non domination leads to opportunities for greatness. This is like where Jesus said, "Go sit in the back of the room." And then make somebody say, no, 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 you come up to the front. You go sit at the high table. So that's not the reason you do it, but that's the flow. Well, and think about this. Who do you want to be a leader in your own own work environment or even when it comes to like just how things are are ran? If if there's somebody there that cares for the well-being of everybody in that environment... And the cause, the mission. All of it. Then that's the person that you want in charge. Not the person who wants to be the greatest nonprofit leader ever. <laughs> you know, like, well, right. what is that? Yeah. Right? Like, I don't need that, right. you know, or they're really worried about their image. And like, Tell me about what you're about, you know, right. even if it's a corporation that's selling computers, mm-hmm. right? Certainly if it's a nonprofit. But what is the op- alternative? If you're worried about greatness, that leads to doom. If that's what you want, if you're only after the greatness itself, because people are going to want to come after you. You end up being charred in a burning gasoline in a, in a pit like Hitler, like in the they end. They want to dethrone you. Yeah. Yeah. You, you end up exiled on the Elba or something. I, you know, just mm-hmm. to, just use those two guys over and over, Think Hitler of, and Napoleon. But, or, or Osama bin Laden. Or Saddam Hussein. You end up in your tidy whities Sad. Yeah. I don't even want to talk about Libya. I don't want to talk about Gaddafi. But I mean, the point is, the point is, 
regardless of, you know, Well, think of what's whichever. going on in, in North Korea, right? Like, they are so afraid. I mean, like, but if they don't, if they don't keep close ties on everybody underneath them, yep. they are just going to get taken out. No, as soon as, yeah. It, it, it's like, North Korea is like, uh, like pe- like a group of people riding a a, a cart, a, a a Ralph's shopping cart down a, a hill, and you know at some point the thing's going to topple over. It's going to be catastrophic. There's no way that the, that the uh, the North Korean regime is going to carry this one out forever. It could be another 200 years of doom. At some point, the thing explodes, and when it goes, it ain't going to go pretty. Yeah. Like I said, just Google for yourself if you have a thick skin or a strong stomach google what happened to uh, uh muammar gaddafi after uh, after he was done dominating <laughs> you know uh, but there's other kinds of people there's other kinds of people that you know like your 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 baileys you know <laughs> your uh it's a wonderful life ending you know right, right. where all of a sudden and it doesn't always happen sometimes people do not come through for you sometimes you you end your life sad lonely and poor because you chose the way of peace and the dominators took all your money that's true that can happen that can you know but they can't take your spirit they can't take your joy and there is this practical side of chapter 67 that's saying there's many ways in which if you don't follow this route if you don't follow these three treasures compassion minimalism and non-domination it's gonna get the best of you it's gonna get the best of you chapter 30 Let's go through these relatively quickly to kind of bring it home because these are kind of self-explanatory. Would you read 30? Yes. Tao surfers teach leaders to avoid violence. For those who use violence inevitably meet violent ends. Invasive weeds grow whenever armies march through a land. After great wars, countries sink into famine and economic depression. Good leaders know how to apply just enough force to reach their goal. Then they step back. They don't become addicted to power. They reach their goal, but don't boast. They reach their goal without humiliating opponents. They reach their goal, but aren't arrogant. They reach their goal, but aren't itching for a fight. They reach their goal without destroying their enemies. Whatever profit one gains from immoral means never lasts long. I think I put in the written reflection of this a reference to Sun Tzu and the art of war. And in the art of war, there's that idea of taking whole. So it's better, instead of obliterating the army, it's to make the army join you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that's, that's a key piece here. I don't think it requires that much elaboration because it's just a, a perfect illustration. You do just enough to accomplish what you need but you don't glory in the fight. You don't glory in domination. You win without trying to be a winner and make somebody else a loser. And I, and I also would say that the, one of the important points here, too, is there are goals <laughs> that people have. Yes. It's, not, it's, it's not, not helpful to not have goals. Right. And so if you're just like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, make sure, you know, you're just going to, I don't know, live life. I'm not. I'm not going to do anything because, you know, you don't want to like care. Like, I'm not going to aspire for anything. <laughs> like, no, like there's goals that you're going to have. There's a direction you want to go forward with, but you just don't want to trample on people to get there. Yeah. Which is, again, self-defeating. May I read 31 Absolutely. to bring us home? Absolutely. Chapter 31. Even the most elegant weapons are instruments of doom. They are loathsome. So followers of the Tao don't abide them. At peace... A man of honor emphasizes graciousness. At war, 
he emphasizes power and might. Weapons are tools of evil, not good instruments. They should only be used as a last resort in extreme situations. Don't fetishize weapons. There's nothing to celebrate in the taking of a life. Those who do glorify killing. Those who glorify killing will ultimately fail in their attempts at domination. At times of peace, there is celebration. At times of war, there is mourning. Approach war like a funeral, not a celebration. When there are many casualties, mourn the bodies of allies and enemies alike. Even moments of triumph, treat it like a funeral. Yeah, and that, that, that piece that you've, you had to fight, your brother or your sister, right? You, you were told, we lament that. Yeah. We, we, even if we win, it's not this, I, I think that there's often, you know, especially, I don't know, this idea in America, especially, but, um, you know, if we, we have a victory in a war, then it's like, yes, you want to celebrate and like, you know, and and I get it. maybe a big, big old grand parade or yep. something, you know, yep. but it's, it's, it really is sad because there was a toll taken yeah. on everybody and yeah. people lost lives over this and it's a shame that it ever had to get that far it's yeah. a shame that because maybe there are scarcity of resources or you know the desire to have more or whatever it is that dro- got was that drove us to that point or that they were if, even if it's a, a a war that you're fighting because you're sticking up for the rights of, of somebody else in another you know, country or any of that, it, the fact that this even had to happen yeah, is sad. You know, it's, there's a mourning that comes along with that. Yeah. And if you can't understand why people don't want foreign occupation, even if you disagree with their religion, you're not being human. If you don't understand why, um, why the Viet Cong, some of the Viet Cong said, you know, like, they're worried about global capitalism making it difficult for them to exist. Mm-hmm. Did they? Did the? <laughs> did the Viet Cong do some really wicked and cruel things? Yes, this is this is this is true. Uh, was their ideology viable in the long term? Seems not to be. I mean, most forms of communism that were that were being applied in in the world in the the twentieth century didn't end up working. But that doesn't mean that greed and cruelty is the answer right. or that we should rejoice in dead bodies on, on the ground uh, or that we should rejoice in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, you know, um, or that we should rejoice even after our greatest enemies are, are done because of their own self-destructive behaviors. It's easy to fall into that, but... That's not the way. And I really, what I really like about this chapter is it's, I think it helped us out. I, I write about this in the, in the reflection that we, we have because mm-hmm. we've already released this right. one. Um, but I, I talk about it. We've gone back and forth with, with, um, with firearms mm-hmm. and especially firearms as we are traveling in places where there's grizzly bears and coyotes and mountain lions and, and there's that kind of question. Uh, but also crazy people yeah when we're we, camping for free in the middle of nowhere crazy people can show up and they have we've been at, i mean and it wasn't even for free it was like a, a small fee in a campground but we yeah. had this entire i would say 30 to 40 spot campground yeah and to somebody ourselves. was just and parked then, right across from and then us. they somebody drove in and just parked with their headlights on the car running 
they didn't park. I guess they they, or they they are parking, but the car was running the entire time. Their windows were up yeah. and their headlights, and it was just staring in the middle right of nowhere. At I us. think they didn't notice us. I think they were doing drugs, but you just don't know if they're going to try don't. to shake us down. They're going to try. And, and so yeah. after, like you walked by and kind of like checked out the situation and then okay you still didn't have any clarity of a sense of what's going on and then eventually it was kind of like we're kind of we were unarmed we were in the middle of nowhere yeah not a soul in sight and so we're like you know we know that there's a road close by and there are people not too far away from here let's just move and get out of here and then um and then they followed us out yeah was that the trip did we decide not to be armed on that trip yeah and I think that might have been the one that changed my mind because I'm saying, well, I don't need to be flaunting this. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be part of gun culture. I don't need to be like really like, you know, violence is the answer. But there have been at least two cases in my own life where I was able to avert a problem by pulling my firearm mm. in in weird. I mean, when, when I was younger, that was, you know, definitely something um, I mean, they say it's, it's scary because you can escalate. A, a yeah, and that's why I said I didn't want to do it. And it, and 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 I go fifty fifty on it. You know, it's it's there's a spirituality to it. There's like a question of just being open to the universe and just you know, kind of forcing yourself to rely on different things. But every once in a while, well, you and, know, and there is a there a is, rabbit, a rabbit animal, or a crazy person. It's either chapter eighty or eighty one, but I think it's chapter eighty of uh, the Tao Te Ching that Lao Tzu talks about that there is this idyllic community and they they have a storehouse with weapons in it but they don't have to use it. Yeah, and they don't they don't make these big military parades. Right. They're not like so so when I see these guys marching around the the Capitol buildings with their with their uh with their assault rifles that's a different religion. That's the religion of Molech to me. There's a, they you want know? power. They want the power that that weapon offers. From, for most of our lives, we were we were libertar- we, we were registered libertarians, but I would describe myself as a Shaolin pacifist. <laughs> uh, this is before I really got into like the different you know traditions and so forth. Um, back at Colorado Christian, I had a friend uh, David who was a Mennonite, and he was a, a colleague, and he was a pacifist pacifist. And I said, "Well, I'm a I'm a Shaolin pacifist," and what that means is. I am never interested in coercion, not in beliefs, not in, in war. I just, the only thing is if you, if you must, I will not hesitate to, to take your brain out. And I I don't want to say that in a, in a hard way. I want to say that as much as we are like hippies and easygoing, you know, if you're coming to hurt me or my children, there's a time or you're coming to hurt other children. I don't think pacifism is the answer. I mean, this is where this is what Bonhoeffer uh, kind of went with it. He said, "There's nothing moral about letting a madman drive through a crowded street in a car without taking him out of the car." Yeah, this is more like surgery. This is more like an ectopic pres- uh, pr- uh, pregnancy or a um, uh, or a situation where you have, um, y- you know, like just some unfortunate medical situation where. You know, let's say it's either the mother or the unborn child that is, you know, at risk uh, in, in, in this birthing process or whatever, and you have to make a difficult decision. That's how you take somebody's brain out. Yeah. I'm saying it in a harsh way because I'm saying that I think the Tao Te Ching recognizes that there are times when you have to get to that intimate level of, of pain and, and violence. But you need to make those very rare. You treat them like surgeries. Right. You te- you te- you treat them like amputations. You you treat it like 
there like the way I would treat it if if I saw a bear, a beautiful grizzly bear that had just gotten too close to people and accidentally tasted a corpse, let's say like a homeless guy died, and then the grizzly bear ate a homeless guy, and now it had a taste for human flesh, I will mourn as I take that grizzly bear out. But right. I'm taking the grizzly bear out. Right. And if somebody is a serial rapist, if, you know, the nice, when we were kids, Night Stalker, Richard yeah. Ramirez was coming oh, through. I, I still, I'm like, like, please that take that guy out life. of his misery. Put him yeah. out of his misery. And I think, you know, if you're a full, if you're a heart, if you're like a, a absolute pass, pacifist, I tend to like you more than I like the alternative. So I'm with you. But I do think that the, at least the Tao Te Ching and what my interpretation of the way we should live is, is to not abdicate our positions of power when we can defend people. Mm-hmm. I think most wars in history have been complete disasters and misguided. I think that when the question was, should we allow Hitler to continue? The answer was no. Right. Young men need to go risk their lives for that because that's who we are as human we, beings. We need to stand up. The orcs need to be stopped. <laughs> we need to stand up yeah. for, you know, two injustices, Sometimes. right? But I mean, those those are like one in 20 in terms of wars that should be fought. Mm-hmm. There's often this temptation of, you know, wanting to sort of fight somebody or take somebody out because they don't, you know, look or act like us. And you think that, that we need yeah. to get rid of that. That difference, that, yes. That stamping no, out. Yeah. Or, I, or that... That that they they are they are less than us, and we need to make sure that they stay in their place. That right. would be bad, right? Yeah, yeah. And so that's the that's that domination. That's when you need to wipe somebody out, just or or put them down because yeah. you can't stand to have have them be. We started in the beginning talking about it personal. Then we moved to the kind of statecraft, the idea of, and I, I want to say this very clearly since, since it sounded like we were talking about anarchy at the end. Yeah. I mean, or at the middle. And then we kind of came to this quasi pacifism or something. Um, I think that the, the key there is that anarchy is a medicine. It's like, yin. you can't be yin all the time. You can't be anarchist all the time. You can't be peaceful all the time. Sometimes you've got to act. But the goal is peace, and we've got to be very careful that we don't self-justify our violent behaviors right. and say, well, what, this, is, this is what has to be. I mean, most of the time, we think we're justified in it, so it's easier said than done to, mm-hmm. to, to sort that out. But let's take it back to the family. There are times in a family where you need to stand up to Uncle Bill or your mom and say, I'm sorry, but this is unacceptable, and we're not doing Christmas here anymore. That's an emotional kind of assassination, if that makes sense, right? Not assassination, but you know what I'm saying? Like right. a, kind of, a kind of place where sometimes in this question of non-domination, I want to end with this. Sometimes this leads us to be too docile, too complacent when we are being subject to abusive behaviors or somebody in our family or our workplace is being subject to those abusive behaviors. Sometimes you need to go to the boss and get somebody fired for their sexual harassment or their racism. Sometimes you need to do that Mm -hmm. or at least get it addressed. Sometimes you need to tell a family member that they're not welcome to Christmas, at least for any time in the near future. let, Let me also say it this way. As a death doula, there are times that you need to protect the space of the dying person and their rights, even when it means that maybe then a family member can't be in that space because it's too uncomfortable for the person that is dying, right? And even if the person wants to come and, and repent or apologize. Right, if the dying person does not want them in the room, that needs to be honored because this is, this is about them. This is, this is their right to die 
the way that they need to, the way that will help bring them the most peace. And so, you know, yeah, if they could, if everybody could all come together and get along, that's great, right? But there are times when we need to defend the rights of, of a person in a certain space so that they can, you know, whether it's even even the ceremony that might be had for them later, it should honor their wishes. When we do the advanced directives, it's what do they want in the situation? And when, and when out, when family members are all fighting for what they individually want and not what they think the person wants, that's where there's so much harm that comes, you know, at the end, at, at the end of somebody's life, honoring and knowing the wishes of the person that is dying creates sort of the most peace possible for everybody else that's affected in it because it's not them being responsible for the decisions it's them honoring the wishes of the person that is in the process of dying or has died so whatever religious tradition or you come from whatever religious tradition you're running away from if you have no religious tradition or very glad that you don't wherever you're wherever you're coming from Maybe we can all get together on this one little thing. We're recording right on the eve of the Christmas time. Mm-hmm. We're not, it's not Christmas Eve. It's, we're coming towards Christmas. And there's a story of these angels that come to these lowly, nobody cares about them, low life losers, the, the shepherds. Mm-hmm. And they get the announcement from on high that says, peace on earth goodwill towards all people Mm -hmm. that's the game whatever your religious tradition is and if it's not why do you what's the point yeah (laughs) right because we want this for you this is from us to you can't can't afford uh you know a lot of presents for you friends we (laughs) we wish we could if we were a little bit more minimalist maybe we had a little bit more but we we definitely give you this one thing these christmas wishes Our Christmas wish for you. Our Christmas wish for you is to have deep peace upon peace, friends. Ah, Thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of Protect Your Noggin Podcast. Want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on this show. You can record a voice message by going to protectyournoggin.org. That's protectyournoggin.org. You can also find show notes and other resources there on our site. Uh, we also invite you to follow us on Twitter at the P-Y-N-P. Again, that's at the P-Y-N as in Nancy, P. Please rate us on Twitter and, and tell a friend if this episode was helpful to you. Until next time, we wish you peace upon peace. But he said that wasn't any letter. Out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.